about a shout out for Chet and West Campus? Shout out for Katie and Old Brooklyn. Shout out for Javon and the Heights Campus. States of America in the last 10 years, almost all churches uh, declined. And um, this year, our congregation is growing at a 25% rate. And I believe it's because God is good, and I also believe it's because we show love for one another. And uh, I want to say I'm, I'm, I'm proud to uh, be part of this church. I am very proud to be part of this church. Our dear Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning we could see with new faith your desire, your deep earnest desire to set us free from the things that make our lives uh, unlivable. And I pray that we would see in you new hope, new faith, a new confidence that you are good and you do good to those who trust in you. And I ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. I hope you know the name King Herod. He was the wicked one who attempted to kill Jesus Christ when he was born in Bethlehem. He was a man of despicable character. When he couldn't kill Christ, as the Gospels tell us, he just killed all the babies under two in the whole neighborhood. Uh, it didn't satiate his uh, brutality. He ended up murdering his wife. He ended up murdering his son, Aristobulus. And uh, it was his plan that when he died, his, his soldiers were supposed to kill a whole bunch of people in Jerusalem so that the city would mourn, whether it was mourning for him or not. He had a grandson named Agrippa I, Herod Agrippa I. He was sent to Rome to protect him from his uh, angry and, and brutal uh, grandfather and some of his equally brutal relatives. And in Rome, he became friends with Drusus, the son of uh, Tiberius, the emperor of Rome. By his context in Rome, he was given a position of authority back in Israel. 
and he ended up being King Herod Agrippa I. He shows up in the book of Acts acting just like his grandfather. Agrippa had been to the Roman uh, games. Agrippa had seen how crowds responded to violence. And so he got it in his head that he would entertain Jerusalem with a Roman-like execution. And one day, without any warning, his guards snuck up on James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, and they snatched him off the street. At first, his family didn't even know where he was. They finally figured out that Agrippa had him. And Agrippa, to entertain the people of Jerusalem, murdered James with a sword. Now we're talking about James, one of the special three. When you read the Gospels, when God did something special with his apostles, he always had uh, Peter, James, and John there. That's this James. It confused the church. How could God let one of our top guys get murdered in that way? And a terrible sense of confusion went through the church. When Agrippa saw how the people responded to his brutal entertainment, he had Peter arrested. And he was so intent on his execution of Peter that he put him in jail and the doors were guarded by two guards and he chained Peter's two hands to two soldiers, one on his right, one on his left. And he said, as soon as the Passover feast is over, I'm going to bring uh, uh, Peter out and we're going to have another Roman-like entertainment execution of Peter. Now you can imagine the confusion in the church. How is God letting this happen? What is going to be the outcome if Herod kills all the leaders in the church? God promised that he would pour out his spirit upon us and we would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And how are we going to do that if Herod gets away with killing our, our top leaders? Luke tells us in the Acts of the Apostles that one night before Herod Agrippa intended to kill Peter, the angel of the Lord showed up in the cell. One night before Peter was to be executed in an ugly and public way, the angel of deliverance showed up in Peter's cell. Now, I don't know what kind of imagination you have, but I see this as a relatively small cell. I see Peter sleeping between two soldiers. His arms are chained to their arms. And uh, he's probably just wiggling around trying to find some comfortable place to see if he can doze off. 
knowing what to expect the next day. But Luke tells us that in the middle of the night, the angel of deliverance showed up in the cell. And if you read uh, Acts chapter 12, it's kind of odd. The angel uh, kicked Peter in the side to wake him up. Doesn't sound very angelic to me, you know. Uh, uh, but I, I can see the angel giving Peter the toe in the side, and Peter wakes up. And he looks up and kind of um, shocked at the angel of deliverance, and the angel says to him, well, what are you doing? Get up. And Peter stands up, and he says, all right, get dressed. And when he stood up, the chains fell off him. And he put on his, uh, he put on his outer uh, robe, and he put on his sandals, and the angel said, follow me. They came to the first door, and uh, uh, the guard was asleep, and they passed through it. They came to the iron gate that went out into the city, and the gate opened up. Peter and the angel passed by the guard, and Peter was out on the open street. And Luke says that he thought he was dreaming. Peter believed that he was having some kind of dream uh, 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 and it took him a moment to realize that uh, he had really been delivered. He wasn't really going to be executed the next day. That God had done something remarkable. I believe part of the reason this story is in the gospel is because God wants all of us to put ourselves in Peter's place. In some way, there's something about life that locks us in. In some way, there's something about life that chains us. Maybe it's the experience. Uh, maybe it's the unexpected. Maybe it's the trouble of struggling with confusing things that you never dreamed it would turn out like this. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a diagnosis you never expected to get. Maybe it's an addiction that is ruining a, a, a life. But in some way, life has the capacity to lock us in. We've all had times where we thought to ourselves, ah, I'm not sure I'm ever going to get out of this. Is it true? Can you think of times in your life that you, you just felt locked in? Um, it's in those moments that our belief about Jesus Christ matters the most. Do you see? It's easy to be a follower of Jesus Christ when things are going well and I understand everything. It's easy to be a follower of Jesus Christ when I'm not confused 
And somehow or another, life is kind of working out the way I hoped it would. It's quite another thing to be a follower of Jesus Christ when things aren't going the way you expected them to go and they're not happening the way you had hoped they would happen. I can see myself in Peter's place. James was a personal friend of his. They worked in fishing boats together from the time they were young men. Everybody had high expectations for James. He was a unique and special man. But for reasons we don't understand, Herod killed him. And Peter is thinking to himself, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And now Peter himself is in jail. And he knows that James has already been killed. And he's full of questions. Uh, uh, even, the most, even the greatest Christian that would ever live would struggle with doubts. It is in the moment like this that what we think about Jesus Christ matters the most. And I want to say, in moments like this, I believe we need to have three attitudes about Christ. The very first one is, regardless of what's happening in my circumstances, I don't want to ever doubt the love of Christ. Church. I don't judge the love of Christ by my circumstances. My circumstances don't tell me the riches of his grace. They don't tell me the depth of his compassion. The cross tells me all I need to know about the love of Jesus Christ. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the expiation for our sin. In spite of the hardest circumstances, in spite of the times when I, I struggle with doubt, in, in spite of times when, thing, when things are not going the way I think I should, I want to hold on to the firm belief that the love of Christ does not vacillate. Wherever you are this morning, whatever you're experiencing, whatever your challenges are, no matter how you feel locked down, I want to remind you that the love of Jesus Christ for you does not vary. Greater love than this, no one has, that a man would give his life for a friend, and Christ gave his life for you, friend. The second thing we have to remember in times like this, God's plan isn't necessarily my plan. Church, God doesn't always work it out the way I think he should. All right. Sometimes I'm glad he doesn't. There have been times I, gave, I told God what he should do, and I, I told him his part of the assignment, and thank <laughs> God uh, he didn't do it. Uh, he had a better plan. Can you, can you open your heart to this? God is infinitely wise. And whatever, he, whatever plan he has for you and for the loved ones you have around you, it's smarter than what you know. His sight is longer than what you know. He sees things more clearly than we see them. And in our moments of difficulty and challenge, in our moments where we're tested, 
We have to fall back on the belief that Jesus Christ is infinitely wise, and whether I understand his plan or not, it's the best one. Uh, parents, I want to talk to you about raising kids. Uh, I raised five kids. Uh, there have been times in my life that this is all I could pray. Dear God, I know you love my kids more than I do. Would you please, please help? <laughs> Dear God, I know you love my kids more than I do. Would you please, please help? I'm falling back on the goodness and the wisdom of God. I'm saying to the Almighty, this is not the way I thought it should be. This is not the way I hoped it would be. But I know that you are infinitely wise. And even in a moment like this, you're capable of doing something greater than what I imagine. The final thing I want to say, in moments like this, we have to remember that we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. What does that mean? We walk by this inner sense of our personal relationship to Christ, not by the proofs of what's happening around me. Church, I have to have this inner sense that I belong to God, that he values me, that there's something about who he made me to be that he holds dear. And in my confusion and in my doubt, I simply say to him, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. If this doesn't turn out the way I want it to, I'm going to trust you. If this turns out the way I want it to, I'm going to trust you. If you help me to understand this clearly, I'm going to trust you. If you never help me understand this, and I die not knowing, I'm going to trust you. It is in a deep sense of trust that we connect with the goodness of God in challenging times and times of difficulty and doubt. I fall back on the trustworthiness of God. Now Peter's out of jail. And he's thinking about, well, I got to go somewhere because I don't want to get caught again. I mean, wouldn't you be thinking that? I'm out of jail. Where's the safest place I can go? I don't want to go back there. All right. So somehow or another, he knew that they were having a prayer meeting for God to rescue him from uh, 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 Herod at the house of John Mark's mother. Uh, John Mark is the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark, and he was Peter's cousin. Uh, or he was Peter's friend. Um, all right. And so he, Peter decided, I'm going to go to the prayer meeting. So he sneaks through the streets. He lets soldiers pass. He does it as secretly as he can. And he finally makes it to the house of John Mark's mother. And the door is locked. So he does what any sane person would do. He starts knocking on the door. 
Well, they can't bother to answer the door, so a little uh, servant girl named Rhoda, she goes to the door and looks through the peephole, and it's Peter. And she gets so excited, she doesn't open the door. <laughs> she runs back to where the people are praying. She starts waving her arms and saying, Peter's at the door. Peter's at the door. Now, they're having a prayer meeting for Peter to be rescued, and when... She says, Peter's at the door. They say to him, they say to her, you are delusional. <laughs> and she said, no, no, I saw him there. They so can't believe Peter's there. They're more willing to believe it's Peter's ghost than they are to believe it's Peter. At the prayer meeting where they're praying for God to rescue <laughs> Peter. So Peter keeps knocking and finally, uh, somebody goes to the door and they answer it and they bring Peter in. And Peter tells them what happens. I want to tell you something else about the goodness of God. I don't believe that I have to get it absolutely right for God to get it right. Do you hear this? They didn't get it right that day. I mean, if God would have said, as your faith be it unto you, Peter would have never got out. Um, but listen to this. There is, there, is a, there is a beauty in the heart of God where he says, you don't have to get it right, and I'm still willing to make it right. Church. I know that often in life, circumstances happen, and I start saying to myself, if only I would have done this. If only I would have done that. If only I would have said this. If only I wouldn't have said this. Um, and we start, we start incarcerating ourselves because uh, we're saying to God, I've messed this up beyond what you can fix. And I want to say this passage teaches us we don't have to get it right for God to get it right. Amen. Do you hear this? The goodness of God is greater than my faith or lack of faith. The goodness of God is greater than how, how correct do I do on the test. If I, if I get a 70 on my spiritual test, God will bless me. If I get a 60 on my spiritual test, he won't bless me. We have to stop thinking like that. That is not how this works. My mistakes are never greater than God's goodness. My inability is never greater than God's ability. My lack of faith is never greater than God's faithfulness. And even when the prayer meeting didn't get it right, God did something special. And God blessed them. And he, and he rescued Peter from uh, uh, the, the, the hand of Herod. I want to say, when I read this passage, I think how gracious God is. He treats us better than what we deserve. Church, I don't know that Peter did anything to earn the angel of deliverance coming and rescuing him. I don't know that, that the prayer meeting did anything that was even close to a prayer that God could answer. But I do know God treated everybody in the story better than what they deserve. And I want to remind everyone in this room, no matter where you are in life, no matter what the circumstances of your life are, God has a riches of grace 
that he is compassionate to treat you better than what you deserve. If you feel like you've been treated unfairly, God wants to treat you better than what you deserve. If you feel like you don't deserve to be, uh, have grace, God still wants to treat you better than what you deserve. If you're not sure your way forward, then believe this. As you make your way forward in life, God is looking day after day for opportunities to treat you better than what you deserve. The story doesn't end here, though. It isn't, that ju it isn't just that God blesses his people. God holds the unjust accountable. God held King Herod Agrippa accountable. And we find at the end of this chapter, Herod went to make a speech. And he made this speech... And the people shouted out, it's the voice of God, not man. He is a God, not a man. And Herod's heart was lifted up in arrogance. And Luke tells us that he was smitten with parasites and died a painful death of intestinal parasites. God is both gracious and merciful, but he's also just and righteous. Will you open your heart to this church? Uh, uh, Peter did not have to avenge Herod for the murder of James. Uh, the church did not have to take up weapons and fight Herod. Our God is also a God of justice. And in the unfairness of life, and in the push and shove of life, I always want to remind myself that God is a God of justice. I don't have to brutalize people. I can trust justice to the Almighty. And by the way, he knows how to treat people uh, uh, justly much better than we know how. So here in this chapter, in the book of Acts, we have this incredible experience where Peter found himself in a place that he could not help himself, and the faithfulness of God helped him. I want you to know if you feel like you're in a place that you can't help yourself, there is a faithful God who can help you. If you're in a place where you don't think justice is being done, and you feel like things are not fair, and, and, and the scales of justice are not balancing, I want to, I want to remind you, that the Lord says, uh, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. We don't have to brutalize each other. We can trust the justice of God. We can trust the fairness of God. We can trust uh, the righteousness of God. Often we talk about how we're supposed to serve God. Last week I did my best to challenge everyone to serve God in some way. But this week, I'd like to say it would be healthy for many of you to let God serve you once in a while. It would be healthy for many of you to let God himself serve you once in a while. You see, with God, it isn't a one-way street. He doesn't look at us and say, do, 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 do. Do. Do more. Do more. 
Here's what he says. He says, if you'd open your heart to me, if you'd open your soul to me, you might be surprised what I can do for you. Church, is it possible that you're among those today who need to hear that Christ says, this is not a one-way deal. It isn't just you serving me. Christ says, from time to time, you got to be open enough for me to serve you. The chains, I can serve you and make them fall off. The hard spot, I can serve you and lead you to a better place. The doubt, I can serve you and give you faith. The, uh, uh, the insecurity, I can, I, I can serve you and bring you to a more a safe place. Our Lord Jesus Christ said he did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And that means Christ has it in his heart today to serve you in just exactly the way you need to be served. Whatever your heart needs, Christ has the capacity to serve you in that way today. So I encourage you, I encourage you to expect the deliverance of Christ in your life, to look to him for his favor, to ask him for grace, to seek his presence, to be open to him guiding in you in ways that you could have never expected because you trust and believe that there is a goodness in God and that goodness is expressed by Christ serving us in the deepest needs of our soul. Our dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you are good. And I believe that you do all things well. I don't believe we can ever get ourselves in a position that is so far lost that you can't find us. I believe there is no prison from which you cannot deliver us. I believe there is no chain that you cannot break. I believe there is no bronze and iron gate that you can't open it and let us go free. And I believe it's in your heart to bless us because you are a God of blessing, not because we have earned or deserved any of it. And so I pray for myself, and I pray for everyone who's here today. I pray for everyone who's watching online. And I pray that even in this moment before we leave, we can sense the goodness of God touching our souls in ways that they need to be touched. In Jesus' name.